0: Well, that song has uh, turned out to be a, an appropriate theme song for our study in the book of Philippians. So many of the lyrics uh, from that song seem to be taken straight out of uh, some of the verses and passages in this great letter that Paul wrote to the church in Philippi. And I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me again to Philippians chapter 2. And we're just going to be looking at two verses this morning, but in God's providence, uh, it is the perfect passage in the book of Philippians to reaffirm and reinforce uh, the earlier exhortation that Chris gave us about our need to serve. And uh, we're calling today Service Sunday and uh, encouraging everyone who attends our church to find a, a ministry to plug into where you can exercise your spiritual gift and help our body grow and mature so we all become more like Christ to the glory of God and these two verses will help us uh, towards that end. Philippians chapter 2 verse 17, Paul writes, but even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. You too, I urge you, rejoice In the same way, and share your joy with me. Father, we've just sung about the cause of Christ being our greatest joy. I pray that would be true of every one of our hearts. Lord, we confess that so many other things in this world and in our lives bring us joy, or at least we try to find joy in, and those things are temporal Uh, Sometimes they make us sad, but we know that serving you, Lord, while it it can be frustrating and discouraging at times, Lord, there's nothing more rewarding, nothing more satisfying than knowing that we're being used by you together as your church to bring people to Christ and help them grow in Christ. And so I pray as we consider Paul's passion for Ministry, mingling with the passion of the Philippians, passion for ministry. I pray that our hearts would be encouraged and inspired to want to get more involved and to make even greater sacrifices so we can experience even greater joy for the cause of Christ, we ask in his name, amen. Well, anyone who has experienced serving the Lord and ministering to others knows that it can be physically and emotionally draining and exhausting and even discouraging and frustrating at times and and in some cases dangerous. I'll never forget the time I was witnessing to a guy and he pulled a knife on me. Um, You can ask Donald Avery about the experience he had when he was just being a deacon, trying to provide some benevolence to someone in our community, and he got a shotgun pulled on him. Uh, sometimes serving the Lord can be dangerous. Uh, no one understood the demands and the disappointments and even dangers of serving the Lord more than the Apostle Paul. If you turn back to Second Corinthians chapter 11, uh, we have a list here of, of the things that he experienced uh, in his many years of, of serving the Lord in second Corinthians chapter eleven verse twenty three he was referring to the false teachers who were claiming to be true servants of Christ, and he said, "Really, are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane i more so in other words i 'm even more of a true servant of Christ, and in far more labors and far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers and dangers from robbers and dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure And apart from such external things, there is the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. Who is weak without my being weak? Who is led into sin without my intense concern? We also know about Paul that despite the tremendous personal expense or sacrifice that was required of him and really of all those who faithfully serve the Lord with their lives, I think he and everyone who knows this type of sacrifice will heartily agree that there is nothing more rewarding, nothing more gratifying, nothing more satisfying or fulfilling, nothing brings more joy than knowing that you're being used by God to help people come to know Christ and or to grow in Christ. Every Christian should think and feel this way about ministry. I appreciate the, the words of John MacArthur in his commentary on uh, Philippians chapter two, and he said this, quote, "Believers' greatest joy comes at the point of greatest sacrifice. A believer's greatest joy comes at the point of greatest sacrifice because serving God is the supreme purpose of their existence the greater the sacrifice, the greater the joy. He goes on and he says, unfortunately, many believers experience joy in much the same way as the world does. When circumstances are favorable, they're happy. But when circumstances are unfavorable, they're sad and sometimes resentful. The only things that bring them joy are those that promote their own interests and welfare. But when believers seek to do the Father's will and please him, they view sacrifice for him with joy. And then he closes with this line. He said, the reason why many believers know little about Paul's kind of joy is that they know little about his kind of sacrifice. And here in this passage in Philippians, Paul talks about his sacrifice and his Service, and he really presented a, a profound perspective on serving the Lord. And he likened his service to an Old Testament drink offering that was poured out over a burning sacrifice. In other words, he viewed his service, along with the service of the Philippians, as an act of worship to the Lord. Look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 15. He was commending the Philippians as he closed the letter for the generous sacrificial gift that they had provided him for his ministry. He says, You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone. In other words, you're the only one who supported me financially. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. And so they were sending uh, multiple gifts to support the work of the gospel through Paul. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. But I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent. Now notice this, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice Well pleasing to God. And so here Paul likened their financial gift as an act of worship, a a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice that was well pleasing to the Lord. Well, the same principle applies to serving. Whenever we minister to others, it's as if we're offering a spiritual sacrifice of worship, an acceptable sacrifice that is well-pleasing to the Lord. It emits an aroma that pleases God. In in order for us to understand and appreciate this imagery that Paul is using here a a couple of times uh, in this letter, we need to go back and look at the sacrificial system that God established for his people, uh, Israel, in the Old Testament. And uh, as you know, God commanded the Israelites to to offer up various sacrifices as ways to worship Him, as ways to express their thanks and and praise uh, to Him. And uh, the book of Leviticus is where uh, God recorded the specific rules and guidelines that God gave regarding both mandatory and voluntary sacrifices. You don't need to turn there, but uh, you can just know back in the first few chapters of the book of Leviticus, we see Uh, God laying out for the nation of Israel uh, both mandatory sacrifices and voluntary sacrifices. And so mandatory sacrifices included the sin offering and the guilt offering or trespass offering that were required whenever you sinned to atone for that sin, whether the sin was intentional or unintentional, you needed to either uh, make a sin offering or uh, present a guilt offering. Uh, The voluntary sacrifices included the burnt offering, uh, the grain offering, and the peace or the fellowship offering, which were, again, a voluntary act of worship to simply express your devotion to God and your appreciation to Him for His provision. And all of these voluntary sacrifices could be accompanied by what was known as a drink offering. And I do want you to turn to Numbers to see where this drink offering is described by uh, Moses here in Numbers chapter 15. Numbers chapter 15, because this is the basis uh, on which Paul was uh, referring, making his statements here in Philippians chapter 2. This is probably what he had in mind uh, when he was writing. This is Numbers chapter 15, verse 1. Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel. And say to them, when you enter the land where you are to live, which I'm giving you, then make an offering by fire to the Lord, a burnt offering or a sacrifice to fulfill a special vow, or as a free will offering, or in your appointed times, to make a soothing aroma to the Lord for the herd or from the herd or from the flock. The one who presents his offering shall present to the Lord a grain offering of the tenth of an ephah of fine flour mixed with one fourth of a hin of oil, and you shall prepare wine for the drink offering, one fourth of a hin, which the burnt offering, uh, with the burnt offering, or for the sacrifice for each lamb or for a ram, you shall prepare as a grain offering two tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with one third of a hin of oil, and for the drink offering you shall offer one third of a hin of wine as a soothing aroma to the Lord. When you prepare a bull as a burnt offering or a sacrifice to fulfill a special vow or for peace offerings to the Lord, then you shall offer with the bull a grain offering of three tenths of an ephah of the fine flour mixed with one half of a hin of oil, and you shall offer as the drink offering one half of a hin of wine as the offering by fire as a soothing aroma to the Lord. And so we see the significance of this drink offering, which we're going to talk about a little bit more detail when we get uh, here into verse 17. But all that to say, all these sacrifices in the Old Testament were intended to foreshadow or to point to the perfect and final sacrifice of Jesus Christ when he voluntarily offered up his own life on the cross to make atonement for our sin. In Paul's sister letter to Philippians, Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 5 verse 2, notice the the similar language here when it says that Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. And so Christ's death on the cross was like a drink offering, if you will, or an offering in the Old Testament. It, it, It sent this soothing aroma to the Lord. Now, today, as Christians, we recognize Christ's atoning death on the cross in our place is uh, the only necessary sacrifice for sin. His sacrifice opened up a way for us to freely enter God's presence and, and to offer Him nothing more now than our sacrifices of praise and thanks and service unto Him for saving us. In other words, we don't offer sacrifices, we don't... Serve the Lord. We don't sing songs to the Lord out of guilt to atone for our sins, but because we've been atoned for our sins. It's a way to express our gratitude and our love for Christ. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15, the writer says this Through Him, through Christ, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is the fruit of the lips, fruit of lips that give thanks to His name. We have already been sending forth our sacrifices this morning as we were singing these songs. These were our, our, our New Testament sacrifices, uh, these songs of praise and thanksgiving to the Lord. He goes on to say this, and do not neglect doing good and sharing for which such sacrifices God is pleased. And so not only are we to sacrifice to the Lord through singing, we are also to sacrifice to the Lord through serving. And so even though Christ death, abolished the Old Testament sacrificial system, that doesn't mean there's no longer the need for us to offer sacrifices to God. The difference is our sacrifices are not literal, but they're spiritual. More importantly, they're not done to expiate our sins or to atone for our sins, but to simply express our praise and thanks to God for providing atonement for our sins through the shed blood of Christ. And according to the New Testament, in light of the mercy that God has showed us by offering up the life of his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross as a sacrifice for our sin, we are to offer up our lives to serve Christ in return. Look at Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, a verse that's very familiar to to all of us. Therefore, I urge you, brethren... By the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Paul has just gotten done describing the, the gospel of God's grace in verse uh, chapters 1 through 11, and uh, demonstrating how God has uh, showed mercy towards us uh, by not pouring his wrath out against us uh, for our sin, but he poured it out on Christ And that we simply need to believe uh, in and we're justified, made right with God through our faith. And he says, therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God. In other words, in view of God's mercy, that you are to present your body as a living and a holy sacrifice. In other words, we're no longer to sacrifice a lamb or a bull or uh, some grain or some oil. We're to sacrifice ourselves. We are the sacrifice. And notice what it says. When we do that, it's acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. I like how the NIV translates this. It says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. In other words, the way that we worship God in this day and age is by surrendering our entire lives to Him and living our lives in a way that pleases Him. That is our offering of worship, is we bring ourselves before the Lord every day. And as living sacrifices, we should be constantly emitting an aroma that is pleasing to the Lord. And one of the practical ways we do that is by serving Him and ministering to other people. And so with all this background in mind, let's consider what Paul said in these two verses to the Philippian believers. And basically in verses 17 and 18, Paul was doing two things. He first of all expressed his joy in sacrificially serving Christ in verse 17. And then in verse 18, he exhorted them to share his joy in sacrificially serving Christ. And my prayer is, this morning is that God will use this passage to inspire us to sacrificially serve the Lord with our lives by reminding us that, that nothing should bring us more joy than knowing that all of us as a church, this partnership, this fellowship of the gospel is being used by God to help others come to know Christ and grow in Christ. And as we're going to see, a fellowship of believers like this that sacrifices together and serves together for the sake of the gospel also rejoices together because of the transformed lives that result from our mutual ministry. And so let's look at, first of all, Paul's expression of joy in sacrificially serving Christ. He says, but even if I'm being poured out as a what? a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith. I rejoice and share my joy with you all. You'll remember that Paul was writing this while under house arrest in Rome. He was awaiting the verdict from Nero, whether he would be released or executed for the sake of of the gospel. He's already indicated once, and we'll do it a second time, that that he was confident that he would be released. Chapter 1, verse 25, Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all the more for your progress and joy in the faith. Later here in chapter 2, verse 23, he says, Therefore I hope to send him Timothy immediately as soon as I see how things go with me, and I trust in the Lord that I myself also will be coming shortly. So he was was getting the sense that he was going to be released. But at the same time, he knew that... It was a possibility that he could be martyred at any moment for the cause of Christ. And so he compared his death to a drink offering being poured out in worship to the Lord. And uh, you may remember Paul used the same exact analogy in his last letter to Timothy, um, indicating that his death was imminent. In 2 Timothy 4, 6, he says, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. And uh, again, as we learned earlier, a drink offering was a portion of wine or oil that was poured over another offering to symbolize the rising of that sacrifice into the nostrils of God. I'm sure you've all taken a, a hot pan and stuck it under cold water, and what happens? All the steam psh, rises up, and you can imagine pouring wine or oil onto a hot, burning sacrifice, that, that steam would rise up, it would sizzle, and psh, it would go up, and again, it was a symbolic uh, offering, and, and, and really, that, that drink offering just served to complement or complete the main sacrifice that was already being offered to the Lord. It was, it was the smaller of the two offerings, if you will, and it was intended to supplement or enhance the bigger offering. And so notice what Paul is saying here. Even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith. Do you see what Paul is, is saying there? He was humbly admitting or depicting i guess his service as less than theirs this was this was he was just he was just a drink offering that was poured out upon the sacrifice and service of your faith. and In other words, Paul viewed the Philippians as, as partners who shared in his struggle in the work of the ministry. And the genuineness of their faith in Christ was demonstrated, demonstrated by how faithfully they served Christ and how willingly they suffered for Christ and how, how sacrificially they contributed uh, to the cause of Christ right alongside Paul. In chapter 1, verse 27, he says, Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel so that whether I come and see you or remain absent I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel in no way alarmed by your opponents which is a sign of destruction of them but of salvation for you and that that too from God for to you it has been granted for Christ's sake not only to believe in him but also to suffer for his sake experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. Chapter 4 he talks about how Euodia and Syntyche, these two women in the church who were having a hard time getting along, used to share his struggle in the cause of the gospel. They were fellow workers. And of course, we've already read the section there in the end of chapter 4 about the offering that they were sharing in Paul's ministry through their gifts, their, their, their financial gifts. And so Paul was, was considering what the Philippians had accomplished and what they suffered as the main sacrifice. That that is your sacrifice unto the Lord, your sacrifice of worship. And and what he had accomplished and what he had suffered merely served to complement and complete their ministry. And so by offering himself as a martyr, his sacrificial death would mingle together with their sacrificial lives and together they would be an aroma that was well-pleasing to the Lord. I think this is the way that it should be in every church, that the sacrificial ministry of the pastors and the elders simply serves to complement and complete the sacrificial ministry of the entire congregation. If you just turn back to Ephesians 4, just a few pages to the left there, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, we know that Paul described this dynamic to the believers in the church in Ephesus, he says in verse 11 and he gave some as apostles some as prophets some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers why for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ, until all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, or excuse me, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. You see that transition there that the the pastors and the teachers are mentioned at the very beginning, but then they they, say, they um once they've, they've, they've accomplished their role of equipping the saints for the work of service, it's almost like the attention is all on the, on the work of ministry among the saints, that it's all the body of Christ doing their thing so that it's growing and maturing and building up, uh, it's building up itself in love. I think it's easy to assume that because you see the pastors and you see the elders uh, up in front that that, that what we're doing is the most important thing that's going on here at the church. And in reality, what you're doing is even more important. When you think about a NASCAR, for example, you've got the pit crew and you've got the driver. What's the focus typically on, right? It's on the driver. What he's doing is most, he's got his hands on the wheel. He's the one out there doing it. And the pit crew just exists to support him and to serve him so that he can succeed, so he can win. And that's really the, 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 the role of pastors and elders. We're kind of like the, the pit crew, if you will, that, that are here. We exist to serve you and to help you succeed and to help you win in your Christian life. I serve you, by teaching you and modeling for you how to serve so that you can live a life that is pleasing to God. My ministry, as a pastor, is to equip you to do the work of the ministry. And us partnering together for the sake of the gospel produces a beautiful fragrance to the Lord. That word in verse 17, service, but even if I'm being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, that Greek word there for service is where we get our English word liturgy. Interesting here. Liturgy is um, basically a religious ceremony. Um, Paul was likening here the the work that the Philippians did for God to a form of worship, a, a sacred ritual or or practice conducted by a priest? When you think about a liturgy, that's something that a that a priest does. That's something that a that that, that, a, that a priest conducts. He gets up in front and reads a liturgy or 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 performs some sacred ritual. Well he's saying, guess what? What you guys are doing as believers in the church in Philippi, what you guys are doing as believers in the church of Lakeside is like a form of worship. It's a sacred ritual that you are conducting as a priest or a pastor, if you're more comfortable with that term. The classic commentator J.B. Lightfoot said that the language that Paul used here to describe the Philippian service expressed the fundamental principle that in Christ church, a, a universal priesthood replace the exclusive service or ministry of a select tribe or class. You know, back in the Old Testament, uh, there was only one tribe that was uh, um, assigned to serve in the tabernacle or to serve in the temple. Who were they? They were the Levites. And everybody else just came, and it, the Levites did all the service, and everybody else just came. And uh, or the high priest or the priest, they were the only ones that did the things in the tabernacle, the temple. Everyone else would bring their stuff and let the priest do their thing. Well, what we see in the New Testament is that division between the priests and the people, or the Levites and everyone else, is gone. It's it's dissolved. It's not in existence any longer. Uh, in fact, First Peter chapter two verse five. Peter says, you also are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. He went on later in verse 9 to say, you are a royal priesthood. Now this must have blown the minds of the people living in the first century who had just come out of Judaism, and they were used to the priests. They were the holy ones, and they were the only ones who could offer up sacrifices that were acceptable to God. If anyone else tried to offer up some sacrifice, they wouldn't be acceptable to God. And so now Paul, Peter's saying, hey, no, you're all part of the priesthood, and you're all to offer up spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God. Lightfoot says it this way, in kind of an older language way. He says, the Philippians are the priests. Their faith or their good works springing from their faith is the sacrifice and St. Paul's lifeblood is the accompanying libation. So the picture here is that, that the Philippians were priests. Paul wanted them to know that you guys are priests. You're part of the, you're the ones that are offering the, the sacrifice and it's your service, it's your ministry that this is the sacrifice and my blood is the drink offering. And so again, this is, what is referred to as the priesthood of all believers. We've talked about this before. It's a, it's a, it's a very vital concept or principle that we must understand. And, and uh, the church uh, learned this the hard way uh, at the very beginning of its existence. During the early days of the church, a division developed between the priest and the people. Kind of went back to the way it used to be in Judaism. By the 14s and, and 1500s, it got to the point where the priest was the only one who would read the scriptures. Nobody else had a copy of the scriptures but the priest. And so he would read the scriptures. He was the only one that took communion. Can you imagine coming to church and watching me take communion and you sitting out there and just thinking you're part of this communion because you're watching the priest take communion um, and, 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 and the priest was the one that did all the ministry. And everybody, the people just came in and watched him do his thing. And then God raised up a man named Martin Luther, a monk, a Catholic monk, and he confronted this this problem and and corrected it during what we know as the the Reformation, the Protestant Reformation, and started to balance things out. And scriptures were translated into the language of the people, and everybody got their own copy of the Bible, and they all started sharing community together, and people were getting involved in ministry. and, And yet over time, I think churches and Christians have a tendency to fall back into this unbiblical way of thinking. And so what happens is churches, as they grow bigger, they hire more staff and, uh, to do the work of the ministry. And so the people just come to church on Sunday and they watch them and they critique them. And that's kind of how it goes. And we need to remember here that God never intended the ministry of a local church to revolve around professional pastors who are financed by lay spectators that we exist for a purpose. His plan is for us to equip the saints, you for the work of service, so that all of us are involved in full-time ministry so our church grows and matures and God is glorified. And again, the pastors and the elders, in many ways, should fade to the background when compared to the, the ministry of the people. Look at them go. Look at them do their thing. And the focus is not on the pastor. Typically, right, churches are all about the pastor. Well, it's not about the pastor. It's about the people. That's the church. I love what uh, the passage that Chris read to us, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, as each one has received a special gift. I'm not the only person that has a spiritual gift in this place. All of us, every one of you has a spiritual gift or gifts. And Peter says, use it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. In other words, it's a stewardship. I would be wrong if I wasn't using my spiritual gift of teaching and exhortation. You would be wrong if you're not stewarding Right? You're not being a good steward of not using that spiritual gift, whatever it might be, whether you have the gift of mercy or the gift of helps or the gift of administration or the gift of giving or the gift of teaching or whatever your spiritual gift, you are not being a good steward of that gift of God's grace. God graciously gave you that gift. You need to be a good steward of that gift. Whoever speaks is to do as one who is speaking the utterances of God. In other words, if, you have, if you're gifted to speak, then do that. If you're gifted to serve, do as one who is serving by the strength with God's supplies, So that in all things, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ to whom belongs all the glory. In other words, it's not about, hey, look at me, look at me, look at me. Aren't I so gifted? You know, look at all that I'm doing. No, it's all for the glory of Christ. And Paul models this. He says, hey, you know what? I'm, I'm just a drink offering. What I'm doing is just is so small compared to what you're doing. And so he says, I rejoice. And I share my joy with all of you. Despite all the sacrifices that Paul had made and all that he had suffered for the sacred Christ, he was not bitter. He was not resentful in any way. He didn't have any regrets, he was not complaining as he told them not to do in verse 14, do all things without grumbling or complaining, he was not complaining, he, he, there was nothing but pure joy. Most people associate sacrifice and service and suffering with sorrow, but, but these things produced joy in Paul's heart, I mean nothing robbed this guy of joy. Just listen to some statements that he made in other letters. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 10. He said, sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. So it's not to say that Paul walked around with a plastic smile all the time and was always happy about everything. No, there were times when he was really sorrowful. And yet, at the same time, he was always rejoicing in the midst of his sorrow. Second Corinthians 7 4, I am overflowing with joy in all our affliction. You would think he would say, "I'm overflowing with joy because of all of our blessings." No, I'm overflowing with joy in all my affliction. Colossians one twenty four. I rejoice in all my blessings. No, I rejoice in my suffering for your sake. I mean, not even thinking about the possibility of dying could steal this guy's joy. Even if I'm being poured out as a drink offering. Even if I might die for the cause of Christ, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. He rejoiced in knowing that what he considered a small sacrifice, dying, this is a small thing for me to die. He rejoiced, why? Because he knew it would further the cause of Christ and and advance the gospel in the lives of the Philippians and, and many others. And so we see his expression, how he expressed his joy in sacrificially serving Christ. But then in verse 18, he exhorts them to have the same joy as they sacrificially served Christ. Notice he says, you too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. Have you noticed in these last Two verses or just in these two verses, there's a lot of talk about joy. In just two verses, he mentioned the words joy and rejoice four times. And we know that, that that joy is a dominant theme in this letter. I don't think it's the main theme, it's a dominant theme, and it's intertwined throughout with the main theme, which is, I believe, being unified for the greater progress of the gospel. And when we do that, it brings great joy, right? When we sacrifice together, when we serve together, it it causes us to rejoice and to have joy together. And and up until this verse, verse 18, every mention of joy has referred to Paul's joy. Notice verse 4 of chapter 1, always offering with joy in my every prayer for you all. Paul was expressing his joy when he thought about them and prayed for them. Verse 18 What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. I just rejoice. I don't care if these people have impure motives. Uh, they, they have it out for me. Uh, I don't care. I'm just happy that, that Christ is being proclaimed, and I rejoice. Verse 25 um, Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. Chapter 2, verse 2, make my joy complete, he says. And then in verse 17, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. Now, a transition takes place here in that white space between verse 17 and verse 18 because now he went from talking about his joy to commanding them to be joyful And he would command them three more times to rejoice before he ended this letter. Look at chapter 3, verse 1. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. And then twice he does it in chapter 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I will say rejoice. So he's commanding them here to rejoice. I want you to rejoice. I urge you to rejoice in the same way. Paul's joy was contagious, and he wanted them to be as joyful as he was. And like he often did in his his letters, this letter in particular and others, he was inviting his readers to follow his example. Chapter 3, verse 17, he says, Brethren, join in following my example. Chapter 4, verse 9, He says, the things you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Well, what is one of the things they learned and received and heard and saw in Paul was his joy. And so he's basically saying, hey guys, follow me as I follow Christ. Well, why do you think he had to urge them, exhort them, command them to rejoice like he was rejoicing? Well, I think it's, natural to understand that the members of the church in Philippi were likely scared. They were sad when they heard that their founder, their mentor, had been imprisoned and might be executed. And to add insult to injury, they also heard that Epaphroditus, the, the, the representative they had sent from their church to bring Paul that offering and, 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 and to, to minister to Paul's needs, he would grown deathly ill. And so they were probably sad, they were probably scared, and so when Epaphroditus recovered, Paul sent him back with this letter to let them know that, that number one, Epaphroditus was okay, they could rejoice in that, but also that he was okay. Even though he was on death row, if you will, he was rejoicing in the midst of his sufferings, and, and he was hopeful that he was going to see him again soon. And so Paul didn't want them sitting there mourning over him or wringing their hands, worrying about what was going to happen to Paul. Uh, He was considering all this to be a joy and a privilege, and they should too. He wanted wanted them to share his joy like like he shared in their joy. And he says, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. Let's just be joyful together. Listen, my victories are your victories, and your victories are my victories, and That's the way it is in the fellowship of the gospel. When a group of people like Paul and the Philippians or like us here at Lakeside Bible Church sacrifice together and serve together for the sake of Christ, then we are able to rejoice together when we look around and see the changed lives that are the result of our mutual ministry. You may remember in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 21, verse 13, when Paul was heading for Jerusalem and he went to Caesarea and um, the prophet Agabus came and took his belt off and wrapped up his hands and said, guess what, Paul, I just want you to know, you're going to get arrested when you go to Jerusalem. And uh, all the people said, oh no, Paul, don't go, don't go. And this is what Paul said, what are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart, for I am ready not only to be bound, but even to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. It's essentially what he was saying to the Philippians, hey guys, don't, 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 what are you doing? You're weeping, you're breaking my heart. Listen, it's okay. I'm good with this. I'm ready to, to be not only bound, but even to die for the name of the Lord Jesus. And so here we have the example of the Apostle Paul who was ready and willing to die for the cause of Christ, which to him seemed like a very small sacrifice. And so we need to ask ourselves, what are we willing to do for the cause of Christ? How are you willing to sacrifice for the sake of the gospel? Would you be willing to grade a test for a prisoner who's in one of the prisons here in in our community? Would you be willing to care for a a baby in the nursery? I put those together because it's like prison, right? Chris said they're kind of similar opportunities. Would you be willing to teach a Sunday school class or set up chairs or greet visitors and make them feel welcome or maybe follow them up with a phone call later that week or maybe you would be willing to minister to junior high students? Trust me, that's not purgatory, okay? That's... A great ministry, right? To minister to junior high schools. Maybe college students are something that God's given you a burden for. Maybe, maybe you're good with, with technology and you could help us with our with our serving behind the sound booth, um, helping us archive our sermons and keeping up our website. And there, there's so many different ways to serve, which you have in your bulletin, right? All those ministry that list of ministry opportunities. There's a lot of ministry going on here at Lakeside Bible Church. And and trust me, there there are a lot of holes. There's a lot of gaps. There's lots of needs. And and some people are carrying the load of an entire ministry, and they could use some help. They could use some support. They could use uh, a break, even. And so in just a moment, you're going to have a chance to to prayerfully consider where you might want to, to plug in and serve. Now, I know that uh, a good portion of you are already plugged in and you're experiencing the joy of sacrificially serving the Lord and it would be unwise for you to come up here and sign up for one more thing because you would not be able to be faithful to your other God-given responsibilities. You're already uh, full up when it comes to ministry and that's great. But there's others of you that, that either maybe are just doing a little bit and, and you could do more, or there's some of you that aren't doing anything. And you're just coming and sitting and soaking and taking it all in and leaving and never putting it into practice what you're learning by way of serving the body of Christ. Does God like the smell of your life, does God like the smell that you're giving off? Does He like the smell that this church is giving off? God is sniffing around here this morning, and he's 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 getting a whiff of you. He's getting a whiff of me. He's getting a whiff of all of us. And and and, and, and the question is: Is He pleased? By what he smells. I hope he doesn't get a whiff of anything that repulses him. You say, what might that be? That might be the, the rancid, stagnant odor of those who are saturated with truth but never get squeezed or poured out in service. That's a putrid smell, right? The the sponge or the, the the washcloth on the kitchen counter or the sink that just never got squeezed properly and you come out the next bed. Like, whoa, what is that? Why? Because you got all this water in it and it definitely gets squeezed. Listen, there's some people that got tons of truth in their head, but it's never put into practice. I hope that God is pleased by the aroma of a group of people who are living out the truth that they've been taught by being a bunch of joyful sacrificial servants amen let's pray father we thank you for this opportunity we have to consider um how we are to serve you and sacrifice for you in this day and age lord thank you that we're not bound to the old testament sacrificial system uh having to bring a lamb uh An offering uh, this morning because we know Christ was that ultimate sacrifice and now we uh, simply bring our lives every week and we are to be living sacrifices who serve you not out of guilt but out of gratitude and love for our salvation in Christ. And I pray, Lord, that no one would have the attitude in our church of just thinking how little they can serve without their conscience bothering them but They would just be thinking, how much can I serve without neglecting my other God-given responsibilities? And so I pray you'd, by your spirit, direct individuals to specific ministries and to specific needs, Lord. We need specific individuals to meet specific needs, um, and there's many of them, Lord. And I just pray that your spirit would make those connections, so that this body could continue to grow and mature and be built up and we could become conformed more and more to the image of Christ and even make a greater impact in this community for Christ, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.